Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Friday, September 25th, 2020. On Fridays, Alicia Bales talks with Mendocino County's Public Health Officer, Dr. Andy Corrin, about the county's response to the pandemic and listeners call in with their questions. We are standing by here for the live Local coronavirus update for Friday, September 25th. I'm Alicia Bales, and we have been, this is a a milestone day because for the last, I don't know, since March, maybe a little bit later, April, May, the county has been doing weekly coronavirus briefings uh, for the community, and we've been live broadcasting those off of their Facebook and YouTube live streams, but they have now decided that we're ready to not have weekly county briefings, uh, but we still want to have weekly check-ins with um, our local public health officer. So for today, in lieu of a weekly briefing, we've invited Dr. Corin, our public health officer here in Mendocino County, to join us for a live Q&A. You know we do this Mondays and Wednesdays at three from 3 to 3.30 with Dr. Drew Colfax, uh, but we're here with Dr. Andy Corin, who is managing the public health response for the county. So we're very privileged and lucky to have you here. Welcome, Dr. Corin. And you're muted. Yeah, muting, muting for the radio isn't the best tactic but <laughs> welcome i'm getting used to this so yeah i mean i could see you via the zoom but not hear you and and we're also joined by uh, becky emery our department uh, operations center manager for the public health department it's the department of health and human services becky Yes, it's Health and Human Services, uh, and it's in the public health branch. Okay, great. Someday I will really have a handle on this Department Operations Center. It doesn't really matter if I understand what what it all is and how the process all works. Just what's important is that we know you're doing this work to help the county respond to, to the COVID crisis. So, can, Dr. Corn, can you give us the latest a kind of a briefing of what's happening in in the county right now? I'll be happy to. There's there's a number of things to to uh, talk about, but certainly going over the data is what always intrigues people, and so that's what the uh, the usual updates are. And so we'll, we'll thank you for putting us on to convey this to the public today. So if you look on our stat tracker, some of you may or some of you may not, you'll find the following data: our total number of people in the community who have had uh, COVID positive tests now is 889. Uh, we do know that uh, recently there have been some more con- more uh, added to that, and um, in isolation we've had we have 88 people uh, in the hospital. Currently we have six, and in the ICU at this point three. Those are three are all out of county right now, and one of them who's been there for a long time seems to be getting better, and so we're crossing our fingers and praying for him to get better. Um, and it is noteworthy, people should know that the numbers of people in our hospitals has jumped 33% in the last few days. And that's because overall, our numbers of people who've gotten sick have jumped in the last week. We were very happy last week seeing you know, ourselves being in the red tier and took a long time explaining what that meant and so on and so forth. Well, the, the current numbers, uh, which is the number of cases per 100,000, average over seven days, seven days ago, this is kind of a, uh, a complex number, has gone from um, about five and a half to eight over the last three days. 
And so when you're looking at it from the state's perspective, under seven would have put us in the red tier, which allows us to be much more open about different industries. It shows that we're a little less, we have less widespread disease in our community. Well, we do have widespread disease now. It's, it's, Shown And although the stat tracker, if, if some of our listeners are not looking at it, the daily positive cases number is still in red. That's a technical glitch. Uh, the circle that says the tier is purple, and by tonight we'll have that red box changed to purple. So people won't get too confused. Um, other important things to understand is that we're dealing, we know we had an outbreak last week we talked about at Ken Fowler Auto. That accounted for, I think it's now up to or over 20 people who we've identified who have been uh, COVID positive. Um, and there are, um, we, we've done a follow-up visit and we'll do more. We're trying to close gaps that they had in their own procedures. They thought they were doing okay, but obviously this was not. And, uh, and they're learning from it. And I hope other businesses are learning as well. This is a very expensive uh, problem that comes up. Not only financially for the for the uh, uh, the owner, but also uh, for the community. Um, but we do have some other outbreaks in our county now. Uh, Round Valley actually has two uh, businesses that were affected by outbreak, and uh, we have them scheduled for special outbreak testing that we're going up from Ukiah to do on Sunday. And the the third area is Point Arena which involves three people, but they're in the same household. So it's not quite clear that we're going to define that as an outbreak um, uh, technically, but it's three people. It's a small community, and so a lot of people are nervous about it. And uh, we're partnering with uh, MCMS Clinic, and they are doing um, their testing, and we're doing testing on Sunday. Is that right, Becky? We have it all on Sunday or Saturday, Sunday. So on Saturday, we are testing in Point Arena at the Veterans Hall. And then Redwood Coast Medical Services is doing a surveillance event in Gualala on Sunday. And so Saturday, we will be at the Veterans Hall in Point Arena from 930 to 12 o'clock. And then on Sunday, our team will be in Round Valley at the Round Valley High School from 930 to 12 o'clock, providing testing there. Great. Okay, maybe, so, maybe I can get you guys to announce that again at the end. Great. So from the point of view of following up those outbreaks and those uh, those concerns, of course, we are in full swing doing contact investigations, which is finding out all about what that person who tested positive, what they've been doing and who they've been around. And we trace that and find other people uh, to see if we can get them in for testing and if they're positive, of course, we'll, they become the subject of our uh, contact investigations. This is our way to get around community spread. It's the most effective way to figure out who might be exposed, who's high risk, and uh, get them, you know, get them tested sooner rather than later uh, before people get sick and so on. And just another thing about our testing, because this comes up frequently, we want more people to be tested. Again, this is one of the ways, one of the major strategies that we have to keep this epidemic under control in our community. So one of the things we've done is we've moved the OptumServe testing service that usually goes from, uh, help me, it's uh, Monday through Saturday. No, Tuesday through Saturday. 
Tuesday through Saturday is changing to Sunday through Thursday, starting the 4th of October. Right. We want the, the, the object was to move to Sunday, which is more of a family day. People come in and go to their church services, and this way they can stop off and have their nose checked for COVID. It's not, it doesn't sound very good, but we want these tests to be done. They really help our entire community. And uh, I should also say that we're, we're working with and partnering with clinics uh, around the county to try and arrange uh, more, if possible, testing at various other communities and workplaces uh, with some, you know, mobile testing service. But at this point, it's very hard to arrange that. We do so, know now that the OptumServe contract has been extended through November, right? Yes, through no, and UCSF, I just heard today, is through the end of December. All right, yeah. so good. So some progress on both of those fronts. All right, good. Uh, I have... A couple of other things on my agenda, but I will I will defer to you if you yeah, want to. Yeah, I have a, I have a few questions I wanted to ask. Let's go back to the the outbreaks you just announced, the Round Valley outbreak and the Point Arena outbreak. Joining with our Fowler outbreak from Ukiah, um, Round Valley Indian Health Center did post some stats about this outbreak, and I'd like you to share them if you can. The numbers involved in the Round Valley um, outbreak. Well, I wrote them down so I could share them. Um, Ten positive cases, uh, 57 close contacts identified, 17 households were involved. And this is the first time that Round Valley uh, residents have been hospitalized. Boy, that community, man, it can't catch a break this month. This is, you know, in the midst of this fire uh, now to have a a COVID outbreak. That's really, it's heartbreaking. It's nice for you to announce how big this epidemic can expand and how quickly from a few people to 10 people to 60, almost 60 who've, who've been identified. And some of them may turn positive as well. And from all of them, how many, you know, will they be in contact with the turn positive? So that's the reason that this uh, testing is important, but also a reminder, wear your face masks, keep clean, keep your social distancing, no gatherings outside of your family or, you know, child care, uh, those cohorts. All right. Um, Next, during the Board of Supervisors meeting, you gave a report, and we've covered most of the things that that you talked about on Tuesday, but uh, one thing that you did mention was that uh, as of Tuesday, four young people had tested positive and that you were doing some contact tracing case investigation on possible schools that these kids uh, attended. Can you give us any more information or an update on what you have found out or what the situation is for local schools trying to reopen in our county? Becky, do you have any updates on the contact tracing? I do. Oh, oh Sarah. Sarah's here. Okay, Sarah Duquette is also here. Do, Becky, do you, do you want me to... Um, of the four cases, two, they're all in the Ukiah area. Two of the um, youth were the same household, and they got it from a close contact. Um, the other two youth, other two youth are completely unrelated, and they too got COVID from a close contact, and none of them were traced back to a school. And all of the kids were on distance learning, so they just acquired it through close contact of another positive COVID case. Can you tell us the age of the minors involved? Um, they vary between the ages of five and seventeen. Okay, so some very young people and some teenagers. And do we know anything about how the close contact uh, happened? Were these gatherings or just 
anything like that? Do you know? No, uh, I, don't most, I was going to say most of the close contacts that we're identifying now are families uh-huh. and um, within their cohorts. Uh, so we would have to look at that, but um, that, that's where we're finding most of those close contacts right now. I just have, like, you know, the nightmare of the, the teenagers hanging out um, and passing it to each other. As a mom of a teenager myself, you know, we're, we're very sensitive to trying to make really good decisions because it's really hard for the kids uh, right now who are older and mobile and wanting to be together and not able to. So I'm glad to hear that there weren't kids weren't partying and spreading this thing in the Ukiah Valley. All right. Last thing I want to ask you about before we open up the phone lines is you issued a a new shelter in place order this week. Um, We've been, we've had the, this uh, pretty lengthy and very detailed shelter in place order that has basically been edits of the very first one um, updates and edits and revisions as we've come to understand what this pandemic really is and how um, the local response can best uh, address it. And finally, now you've you've kind of scrapped the old version and you've written a new, simpler, more streamlined version of that shelter in place order. So can you can you tell us what's you know briefly what's in it? Well, first of all, I would not say we scrapped scrapped it. it. Okay, <laughs> we we went through that very carefully along with the state guidance, um, and what we attempted to do was simplify it in some ways. Because at the time that this was written, for one thing, nobody really knew what was headed down the pike in terms of the severity of this pandemic. They didn't know what our response, whether our response would be good or not good. And so it was like batten down the hatches, hunker down, let's do it all. And Dr. Dewin, who wrote this, uh, did an excellent job. The state was behind in terms of establishing their recommendations and in, in some ways, uh, they actually followed what our county did in terms of cohorts, which at the time was n- named Bubbles, if you remember. Um, and so we really had a very forward-thinking health officer who did a great job. And though what's happened since is the California Department of Public Health has done its job in writing very new industry guidance and their own uh, orders, which in some ways – you know, it was a little bit off here and a little bit off there. There were some, you know, words that varied and everybody would see a crack between the county and the state. And, you know, who do we follow? Well, this the county, just to fill you in a little bit more, the county cannot uh, be less strict than the state, both because we fear, you know, worse consequences from a health point of view, but also if the state feels that we're risking the health of our community, they can they can punish us. They can penalize us with the state grants that they've given us and so on and so forth. We don't want to risk that. We cannot afford that. So we've always stayed within what the state has recommended. Um, At this point, the state has done a really good job of outlining what their recommendations and advice are, and we're following them. So there wasn't a need to have repetition, and the repetition created a lot of confusion. This, So what what we did in this last edition, was to streamline it in the way that we eliminated reference to specific things people had to do and referred to the state, where the guidance was clear from the state, go to the state guidance. We're still getting questions. Well, you said this, or where do you find that? We'll keep dealing with that. That happens. That's a natural part of life. But that was the main thing. We also, we were feeling really like everything was going well, and I still think people are learning a whole lot more. I don't want to be pessimistic about it. 
but we withdrew some things that we didn't have as great evidence that it did more than what we that it did more than what we could do without those restrictions, and that we didn't need them. So, for example, the um, there's a very good reason to restrict alcohol consumption in general, and alcohol consumption in bars, and alcohol consumption in restaurants, because alcohol consumption loosens us up. And it loudens the, the environment. And we talk louder and we get closer because it's louder. And we're, I wouldn't say we're spitting at each other, but those aerosol and those, those particulates, they're, they're closing the gap and giving us more infection. That's well known. So it had been structured in the past that if you're going to drink at an establishment, you do it outside. The, the wineries would have outside uh, stuff. It's always been dangerous, and we still know it's dangerous to be eating. But if you're eating and you're having only a drink, we presume you're not getting sloppy drunk, okay? And the restriction was to limit the drinking or the at least the bars and the restaurants open past 8 o'clock. And because we're doing pretty well and the state has not recommended that, we lifted that requirement. So people can go to a, uh, a restaurant at this point because we're still in the purple tier uh, restaurants are still closed, um, except for outside eating. Um, but we've allowed them to increase their, their sales of alcohol with a meal um, to go past 8 o'clock. So if restaurants are open past 8, they can continue to serve alcohol until they close. But bars aren't reopening in the county. That's correct, unless, you know, unless they're a uh, place that is... Uh, doing it outside. Here we are. I lost you for a minute. Oh, right. I want to be able to see you all. <laughs> Makes me feel like I'm connected. Okay. So that was one thing. So we relaxed that. We had also, not knowing what uh, could come down the pipe, had restricted uh, many things in the lodging industries. Well, the state came along and wrote some of their own orders. And what we had done before was, I thought, a little bit more tight than we needed to do. And people from the lodging industry said, you know, we really needed that. We need that for our economy and so on and so forth. And, you know, it's a big industry in our county. So uh, we relaxed um, and allowed people to fill their restricted 25%. So now they can go to 100% lodging. We had some uh, requirements to lengthen the time between um, reservations uh, to a full day. And that's really not felt to be necessary. We do that with known COVID cases in the hospital in less than a day. And so we allowed them to fill those gaps in their booking. So they don't have to wait 24 hours between guests in rooms and lodging Correct. in the county. So that those were major things. Let me see if there's something else. Major. So essentially there are no restrictions coming from the county on lodging, but the state may still have their guidelines for the lodging industry and campgrounds as well. There's no county restrictions on campgrounds or there hotels. Is. There is. Let me correct you. Oh. There is. There is self-attestation, which still exists, but it's now the the where self-attestation is is the lodging owners should review that every month or so, every month. Okay. And, hey, is it still applied? Did I open another room? Did I close something down? Are we doing something different? Are my employees all well educated? Did I have you know? Did I hire some new people? Are we really sure? We're following what we said we were going to do in the attestation. So documenting their compliance with uh, existing restrictions. Correct. And then did they send that to you or did they just have it in case you you want to look at it? 
the initial attestations were sent to us. The updates we're not requesting them to do. It's a matter of, you know, responsibly looking through and updating it as needed. Um, the other thing is, is that in the cases where there's groupings of people, uh, for example, campgrounds, we want to make sure that if we have to, if we have a positive and we're doing investigation, we have a place to go back to uh, that's a list. So there still has to be a person who's responsible in a campground. Obviously, there is in a uh, in a hotel or motel lodging that situation. But we in the hotel motel lodging situation, well, they have their sign-in books. Of course, they know who's going to be where when. But that's not necessarily so true in a campground. So you want to make sure that there's somebody who can be respond who can respond within an hour, and that they will also maintain a roster of people who are there when, so we can get in touch with them. It's for the safety of the community. Great. Okay. And then finally, there was um, a, an adjustment to the number of people uh, described in a stable group or a household grouping. It's in the household grouping. And the reason for that is that, especially um, with the um, um, evacuation orders, and also some families are just bigger than five or six people. And so it, it didn't make sense to keep it that way. But we wanted to keep it within a range of groupings that are consistent with other groups that have been defined by the state. So we increased the allowable number of people within a household group to be 12. Okay. So that, those are the changes to the new shelter-in-place order. It's available online with a summary online at Mendocino County's website if people want to check that out. But I guess it was, um, you know, it was time for that to happen, right? Yeah, and, and generally I think we've gotten very positive feedback, mostly because it's simple and here's here are the things for Mendocino County, and here are the things for your industry and the Cali- you know, according to California. All right. Well, we've got a, a caller calling in already, so let's go ahead and start taking some calls. Um, the number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. Uh, this is Dr. Andy Korn, Mendocino County's public health officer, available for your questions. So um, feel free to call in if you have questions about the new shelter-in-place order or anything COVID-related here in Mendocino County. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hello. I'd like to talk about masks. I'm Not a pretty surprise. Fed <laughs> I'm pretty Go fed ahead. up with the whole situation, uh, businesses and people. Um, I just looked it up, and uh, in 2018, 10,497 people in the U.S. died from drunk driving. <clears throat> so there you go. <laughs> uh Try, try, try uh, getting pulled over with wine on your breath and see what happens. Your life will be destroyed. But we're pussyfooting around. I, I just, I, you know, oh, don't say anything to them. We don't want to upset them. You know what? Haul their butts off. You're going to spend the night. Two hundred thousand people are dead in seven months. You know, I mean, we're doing we're doing drunk driving every ten days. This is a joke. You know, grow a set, start enforcing the damn law. This is life and death. It is jerking around a bunch of tourists. Thank you. Goodbye. All right. Thank you. Any response to that caller, Dr. Corin? Well, I'd love it if we could, we could um, enforce to that extent. But, you know, it's very hard to. And uh, it's a matter of also behavior change is difficult to say, don't do this or don't do that. How long did it take for us to stop? Uh, and we still not stop uh, drinking, driving. I, I totally agree with him. 
Um, as far as masking, I'd like to be as strict as possible, uh, but there has been a period of time where we've had to learn and people have had to learn what masks, get their masks, that they're really going to be enforced. The best thing we can do right now is to have people who own businesses make sure that their employers are, or their employees are masked, people who come in and use it are masked, and everybody is learning it. How long did it take to start to, to get the laws on the books that could be enforced for drunk driving? And it's still difficult to, to enforce because you've got to stop a person for some, you know, egregious problem like, you know, swinging all over the road. And then, and then you smell the alcohol in their breath and you have to prove it and blah, blah, blah. I don't disagree with the caller. Let me just put it that way. But there are limits to what we can actually do. And there's re- reality. Yeah, the society uh, we, we actually want to live in. Respect for our, our people in the community. Yep. All right. Well, yeah. we'll back yeah. up the phone lines going. So we've got all the lines are full now. Let's go ahead and see what, what are, what's on people's minds. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Um, my name is Jean. I'm calling with um, one suggestion, which is a friend of mine went to Ken Fowler's like two, three weeks ago, and she actually told me they're not doing this here. They're not taking care of business with the masks and so forth. And she feels really guilty because she didn't do anything about it. But I think at each business, if they posted a sign with a phone number and everybody got that phone number, we could call into the county health officer and have enforcement occur easily, you know, right there you would know what the number was and whom to call, and I think that would be really helpful. And my other suggestion is, or question is, why are we reducing the briefings right when the number of cases is increasing dramatically? And I'll take your answers off the air. Thank you. All right. Thanks, caller. I'm, I'm so, first of all, I'm I'm not sure what she's saying about reducing the briefings. Oh, the the uh, it, weekly briefings, the county's COVID nineteen reports. Oh, okay. Well, the decision was made while we were getting better, and I think we're still getting better. And I'm not sure how much we need to do that every week. But you know, if we need to do it, this will you know we can we can increase the numbers of briefings. This is the first week we're we're doing it without. The, the weekly briefing. Sarah, I see you want to say. And just to remind the public, we do provide four briefings a month. So we are doing two Friday briefings on the first and third Fridays, but we also provide an update on COVID to the Board of Supervisors who meet twice a month. So there's four opportunities um, a month that we do community briefings as well as daily posting on our website and all of our social media platforms. And Alicia, if I can add, you know, there is a number that anybody in the public can call, and that is our call center number, and it's 707-472-2759. And they can call and report any of the violations that they see if they're not willing to, you know, if, they, if they're not comfortable having that conversation, they can still call us and let us know. And we are forwarding those on to our code enforcement and having those um investigated as we receive those reports and checking things out okay that's a different number than the call center number that we've been putting out so can you can you say that number again sure we changed our call center number we have changed it online as well so people can find it there but the new number is 707-472-2759 all right i'm gonna have to memorize a new number you can do it that's good i mean we'll say it enough times i was i was just looking at the uh the um, toolkit for businesses that we have online, and it, and these are required to be put, um, posted outside the, the uh, businesses. 
And it does have the number, though I will say it does have the old call center number. So thank you, caller, for letting us know. And, uh, and it would be good if, if people took a look at that part of the, of the uh, post poster yeah. and, and made those calls. And I want to mention, too, that, that um, if anybody has tried talking to someone about wearing a mask or talking to a business about it, um, I have experienced intimidation from that. I have I've had, you know, somebody be very behave badly toward me. And, I you know, that's it makes me not want to do it again. Um, it was scary. So it's good to have that number and be able to, to call somebody who has some authority that can actually take some action. Let's take another call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Thank you. Um, I wanted to uh, know if the doctor saw the article in the New York Times last Sunday about looking at glasses as a virus barrier. In a hospital ward in China, they noticed that fewer nearsighted COVID-19 patients. It's a very small um, number compared to the larger population. But it's very provocative and interesting that wearing glasses could decrease your exposure, considering that the eyes are also, you know, a mucous membrane. So I wanted to know if um, he had heard anything about um, that. And um, I'll take this actually in the um, 9-22-20 New York Times. Well, I will, I will read it. I, I have heard it. That's why we say not to touch your eyes, nose, and mouth um, when you're, you know, taking off the mask. Uh, it is something that can get on your hands, uh, and it could be something that, as people are talking to you, it could spray into the eyes and would be an area where the COVID could infect. The most likely issue is expelling those germs, and the masks are to protect all of us from the expulsion of those germs as we speak or as we cough or clear our throats. So the masks are not necessarily there to protect the wearer, but the people around them. And that's why it's so important. Glasses are great to protect the wearer. Um, The face shields also protect the wearer, uh, that sort of thing. All right. It is 3.30, so a scheduled time for us to be done, but the phone lines are still quite busy. Do you mind if we take a few more calls? No, I'm fine. And there were some other things that I wanted to talk about, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, if you wanted to, we can save the Halloween recommendations for next week, though. Okay. Yeah. And we will be continuing to do this every every week here on KZYX. So let's take a couple more calls and then we'll get to your um, to your issues. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. I was curious as to the fact that we have had known um, coronaviruses in the past with no vaccine available. And now we're hearing about a vaccine that is maybe readily available or going to be readily available at some point soon enough. And I was wondering what makes this coronavirus virus unique and or different from the past coronaviruses where it is vaccinable, whereas the other ones, as viruses, they're not generally vaccinable. And why is this one vaccinable and the other ones are not? I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. All right. Thanks, caller. So the question, as I understand it, is it's hard to produce a vaccine for this coronavirus? No. um, The caller was asking, because this isn't the first coronavirus, why is this one, uh, why do they think that this one will be treatable by vaccine? They'll be able to discover a vaccine to deal with this one and not the previous coronaviruses. But are there previous, how many previous coronaviruses are there? Well, there there have been two, the uh, MERS virus and the SARS-1 virus. Uh, the SARS-1 was a, was a respiratory virus, 
And uh, MERS is, uh, is also a virus, but it, it was not primarily a uh, respiratory virus. I don't think that they have developed a vaccine for those. I may be wrong, but it's not something I know of. And, and the numbers of people who were affected by SARS-1 and uh, MERS was very, very small compared to the numbers of people who are uh, getting this virus. So this turned into a huge pandemic. All the countries have an epidemic. It's widespread. It's a very much more transmissible disease. It is not as severe as those people who suffer from SARS and MERS. But because it's so widespread, there are actually more people who are in the ICU, more people who are dying from it than, than from MERS. And it's mostly because of transmissibility. There are new technologies that are being used to develop the new vaccines also. So hopefully these technologies will be tested and be worthwhile. We don't know yet. That's one of the reasons. All right, and we've got one more call. So let's go ahead and take this. This will be our last one. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Well, thank you for having this show. Um, I'm calling about the Ken Fowler issue. Um, somebody called a little while ago and said she went there, you know, probably before the outbreak happened, and, and nobody was wearing a mask. Okay, so that does not jibe with what Dr. Corrin said when he said, well, there's a few little gaps there, you know. I mean, well, she didn't say she difference. didn't say that. She didn't say nobody was wearing a mask. You know what I mean, she didn't say no one was wearing a mask. What? She said that she that there were some problems there. I don't think she described exactly what oh. the problems were. Well, I'm sorry. I thought I heard her say nobody was wearing a mask, and so then my call is not relevant. And thank you for taking it anyway. All right. I was just wanting to get the I was wanting to get the real truth about it. You know how bad was their behavior being, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean... Obviously, it was a few people not wearing a mask. It was not the whole place widespread not wearing a mask. Yeah, I think that's, that's more right. accurate. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks. But what about that? How? I mean, she's not the only person who reported that stuff at a business locally wasn't going so well, but then we hear from, from public health that they have, they were doing a good job. So... How do you determine if, if a business is doing a, a good job? 20 cases? Well, they should be following their, self, their self-certifications. And um, this is an example of somebody who is not. Uh, and you find it after the fact, uh, most, of the case, most of the time. Uh, and um, in some cases, whole stores are not wearing masks. And in some cases, everybody is but one or two. The point is, is that we want everybody to take this very seriously. I think that one of the first callers who likened this to drinking and driving uh, is closer to the truth. Because even though we have, uh, it, it, it's not like if you get SARS or MERS, you have very high uh, risk of mortality. Uh, we have over 200,000 people who have died in our country. That's a lot, you know. And uh, so this is very serious, and I think everybody has to take it seriously and really has to mask up for themselves and the people around them, the people they love, the people they're friends with, uh, and even the rest of us who they don't like. We need to have those masks worn uh, because it's a bad epidemic. And we don't have a vaccine for it, and we won't have an, a vaccine that gives – it's a lot of talk also about herd immunity and, oh, when we have a vaccine, everything will be right. there's a huge problem of distributing a vaccine to several hundred million people. And then how much of it will work? We don't know really the percentage of 
uh, vaccines that will be effective or how effective. So it's a long way off. We're going to be wearing masks for a very long time. And I think we need to get used to it. One of the nice things is making masks that are pretty. And one of the things that come up is uh, make your masks for Halloween. But make them, there you go, but make them the way, you know, you can, uh, uh, they're safe. They're safe for COVID and they're fun for the kids for Halloween. That's all I'll say about Halloween today because we're obviously uh, we're obviously right. kind of time. I do want to say schedule your flu shots. Just because we're wearing masks for COVID does not mean that the flu shots uh, are less effective or less necessary. We are worried about this, quote, unquote, twin demic. And so some people will say, well, because we're wearing masks, there'll be less flu. We don't know that. And if there's flu, does it mean that the, the uh, contagion from COVID or the severity of COVID will be less or more? We don't know that. And if it's more, we don't want to be into the season unprotected. So everybody should be getting a flu shot, schedule it with their primary care provider, uh, their clinics, go to the pharmacies. And we will have some um, drive-through flu shot availability in Ukiah and in Fort Bragg. Oh, that's we great. That also next week. Is that free? They will be free. Wow. Okay. And so it's okay to just go to the neighborhood pharmacy as well? Yes. All right. That's, That's probably one of the most convenient ways. And they have a lot of vaccines. Great. And w- was there anything else that you wanted to report about before we let you go for the day or for the no, week? No, I think, you know, this is, I, I, I bet people's ears are, are getting uh, tired with me talking. So if there's no other questions, then I think it's it's okay. And I can push some of these other, into some of the other information over to next week. Okay, you're probably busy, so we should probably let you go and get back to work on your uh, being the the head of the county's public health response to this coronavirus pandemic. So thank you so much. We're very glad that you are continuing to talk with us weekly here on KCYX. I think it's really important to give uh, Mendocino County residents a chance to talk with you directly. So that's why I continue to invite you and continue to make sure that we can we can do it this way because it's, you know, uh, we're all in our houses as much as possible, you know, and it's not, um, there's not, we can't go to, to the public meetings anymore and make our public comments. And so, um, I just think that it's important that the folks who need to live with, um, live with the results of the decisions that you guys are making should have a chance to ask you about them and maybe even give you their feedback. Yes. One more thing, two more things. I want to clarify that the vaccines are not necessarily free everywhere. But we at the Department of Public Health will have some for free, and the clinics will have some for free as well. Oh, that's so Uh, great. Get the flu shots. The other thing is to remember to use the testing at uh, OptumServe. Remember, it's from Sunday to Thursday. And uh, there will be testing in all the different uh, neighborhoods. But, Alicia, you are going to announce also where they're going to do the the, uh, outreach testing. You guys are more organized than me. You remembered that. Thank you. So, Becky... Becky, you were gonna. There are a couple of uh, outbreak testing events this weekend. Will you reannounce those so that people can can make their way there if they need to? Great, thank you, Alicia. On Saturday, September twenty sixth, from nine thirty to twelve, we will have outbreak testing at Point Arena Veterans Hall. They will have surveillance testing in Gualala on Sunday, and then we will have outbreak testing also on Sunday, September twenty seventh, from nine thirty to twelve at the Round Valley High School Gym in Round Valley. Okay. 
So that's great. And all of those, all of that testing is also free. Yes, it is. And people should just remember to wear masks, but they don't need to make an appointment for any of these events, right? That's correct. And outbreak testing from public health, it's not, you won't necessarily get test results, right? If you're negative, you may never hear anything again. We are working on that, Alicia, and so um, we will be letting them know at the testing opportunity. Okay, great. So people will have a really clear idea of how, what to expect with their test results and, and how long to expect them. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Corin, uh, Becky Emery, Sarah Duquette. It's great to spend another Friday afternoon with you and have a fantastic weekend. Thanks to everybody for listening and for your calls. And I'll be back with you on Monday at 3 o'clock with Dr. Drew Colfax for more local coronavirus news. Thanks a lot, you guys. Thank you. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening. Thank you.